and unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Well, good morning, everyone. As some of you know, uh, we are planning uh, Sojin Roshi's funeral at last. And uh, that will take place at, at Green Gulch uh, on June 19th. And invitations uh, will go out widely in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it'll be both in person and on Zoom. And we'll probably do it outdoors at Green Gulch so that we can accommodate a lot of people. So this is a complicated, actually, it's not that complicated a ceremony, but it's the choreography is very complicated. Uh, and so we have the opportunity to work with uh, our friends from uh, Green Gulch and our friends from uh, Sotoshu Akiba Roshi and uh, his staff and uh, the lead officiant so the, just to say structurally, uh, the disciples, and that's going to be kind of widely construed, uh, but Sojin's disciples are mourners and they're not, so they're not the actual officiants. They don't lead the, the ritual aspects. And so the ritual aspects are, are led by people who are more in the extended family uh, so the chief officiant is going to be Tenshin Roshi, Rip. And uh, Liz and I have had a couple of wonderful uh, conversations with him. And then I went out there uh, to Green Gulch to meet with him to go further into details last week. Uh, and we had a productive, very productive session. And then we were sitting in his home and talking about our respective families uh, and what our children were doing, what our spouses were doing. And I mentioned that during the pandemic, uh, Alex Genpo had spent uh, a year and a half or so uh, in Japan training with Shoto Harada Roshi at Sogenji. Now Harada Roshi, uh, who I've, I've talked about before, was also one of my teachers. Um, he was a disciple of Yamada Mumon Roshi, who was one of the really pivotal figures in Rinzai Zen in the in the second half of the, well, in the 20th century. Uh, and he was also uh, an important bridge figure between the East and West. Uh, he was very interested in what was happening 
in the West, and he was also very interested in the proliferation of uh, the lay dimension of Zen uh, in Japan and in here and here. Uh, and so he had made, um, I should have thought of this in advance. He made two trips to uh, San Francisco uh, in the 70s, just one after Suzuki Roshi had died. And he went to Tassajara. And um, he gave talks there and spent a couple of days and met with the students. And I found in the photographs that uh, that Liz gave me from Sojin's uh, many photo albums, I found a lovely photograph of a uh, very young Sojin Roshi with Muman Roshi. And Muman Roshi was a very sprightly and, uh, well, he was described by uh, Victor Hori as, uh, and he looked and acted like a tiny, wispy, immaterial Taoist hermit. He had a little beard. He kind of was very Yodo-esque, Yoda-esque. Uh, but uh, Victor Hori says, but inside the Dokusan room, he turned into a lion. He was ferocious. Uh, so Reb and Sojin and uh, all the Tassajara students had met Mumun Roshi and were very impressed with him. And in the 80s, Reb was uh, traveling in, in, in uh, Japan, and he went to visit Mumun Roshi at his, at his temple. And at that point, Mumun Roshi uh, was in his last years, he was frail, and um, I believe it was said that he didn't speak for the last five years of his life. And so when, when Reb went to visit, um, Muman Roshi's attendants uh, sort of carried him out, and they had dressed him in his formal robes and put him in his seat, but there wasn't any real communication possible. Um, and what Reb was telling me was he was sitting there seeing this person who had impressed him so deeply and then seeing him in this, in this state. And the question that came up to Reb was, what is a Zen master? So is the Zen master, Muman Roshi, the Zen master, is he still there? Is he still a Zen master? And of course, uh, Reb's frame of reference for the Zen master is Suzuki Roshi who was um, really pretty with it until, uh, you know, until the end. But 
what is a Zen master? And this is a question I felt like Rep was, was asking this out loud and he was offering that question to me. He didn't attempt to answer it. I didn't really pursue a discussion or a conversation with it, but it's really held on as a wonderful question in the last in the last few weeks. And some of you know um, that I've been working on a a book which is in its kind of last editing stages. And the book is called Turning Words, which is it's a book of very short encounters with Buddhist teachers. And uh, when I think about it, in each of these encounters, uh, the person that I was hearing or that I was engaged with or that I heard about was in that moment a Zen master for me or a Buddha. And so I've been, I've been thinking about that. What is a Buddha? What is a Zen master? And I think what I've come to think about is that there are two requisites. The first one came to me, I hadn't really thought about it, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So in preparation for a practice period, uh, I've been reading uh, in the Lotus Sutra, reading stories and also reading commentary. And uh, there's a commentary by uh, Jean Reeves, who's one of the primary Lotus Sutra scholars. And uh, he sort of talks about the difference between God in the sort of Christian theological sense and uh, the Buddha. Uh, and it's one way of looking at it. Uh, God is uh, portrayed as complete and self-sufficient, uh, as an entity that is uh, all-encompassing, uh, but is proceeding from this, uh, this sense of fullness or completeness. And what Jean Reeves said is, the Buddha, a Buddha, cannot do what he or she vows to do without the help of others. And so when you look at, uh, at all of the, the classical sutras, the first thing they do is set the scene. 
they describe who's there, you know, who's receiving these teachings. And uh, Jean Reeves says, we might even say that the Buddha could not be the Buddha without the great assembly. The Buddha, after all, is primarily a teacher and a preacher. And a teacher is not really a teacher unless there is one learner. Even more important in the Dharma Flower Sutra, it's another name for the Lotus Sutra, the Buddha needs others to carry on his teaching practice after he is no longer active in this world. So the Buddha is doubly dependent on the assembly. He needs others both to receive his teachings and to share them with others. So, um, as I was thinking about it, I think that's one of the one of the characteristics or one of the requisites for a Buddha that there be someone to teach. And um, when you think about what is a Zen master or what is a Buddha, uh, what came to me is that their identity, that identity, if you will, is forged in relationship to us, to each of us. In a sense, this is what Dogen is talking about uh, when he talks about a Buddha and a Buddha. That in order for there to be a Buddha, there has to be a meeting with another Buddha. And that Buddha is us, even though we may not realize it. Of course, the, you know, the thrust of, uh, of the Lotus Sutra and the thrust of the Mahayana teachings and the thrust of uh, Sojins and Suzuki Roshi teachings is you yourself are Buddha. Each of us is Buddha. But we're Buddha, that identity or that reality emerges in relationship to another Buddha. Our understanding emerges in the context of our relation, the relationship with a teacher or a Zen master. So that's, um, to me, that, that's one of the aspects, one of the requisites. Uh, and perhaps we could talk about that more. But I think that's, when I think about what Reb's experience might have been, uh, having experienced Muman Roshi as a Zen master, and then, and then experiencing him uh, in a diminished capacity, still the Zen master was evoked for him. And so for Reb, 
perhaps the Zen master that he had encountered was still alive. And we see that, you know, sometimes we see that in people, you know, yesterday, actually, uh, I went to see an old friend uh, who I've known for close to 50 years. He's a wonderful musician. Uh, and I hadn't known until some months ago that he had uh, he had had a fairly early onset Alzheimer's and uh, was really retreating from the world. And I went to visit him at really what seemed like an excellent place to me, some of you may know, but called the Elder Ashram uh, on Fruitvale. Uh, uh, it had a picture of Suzuki Roshi on the wall. Uh, and uh, a lovely place. And they brought out, my friend came out, he was walking with a walker, and we had brought a guitar for him. And I, I opened the case and handed him this lovely guitar, really fine instrument. And he just took it naturally in his hands, and he started finding the notes. He started playing uh, this, he started playing the sketch of a, a blues in E, in key of E. And, um, you know, his face relaxed. And so I felt, oh, he's still there. You know, there's suffering. There's loss. But the essential kind person that I knew for all those years, gifted person, um, you know, giving freely of his music and going deeply with it, that person was still there. What is a Zen master? So the other aspect or other dimension of a Zen master, a Buddha, a person of practice is uh, what Dogen calls practicing Buddha. Uh, there's a lovely fascicle, uh, it's number 23 in the Shobo Genso, it's called Gyobutsu Yuiji, which translates roughly as practicing Buddha. And he writes at the start of it, all Buddhas without exception make full use of their everyday behavior for their practice. So this is their comportment, their activity. They make full use of their everyday behavior for their practice. This is what is meant by a Buddha doing his practice. A Buddha doing his practice does not refer to a Buddha realizing enlightenment or to a Buddha's transforming himself. Nor does it refer to a Buddha as the embodiment of the Dharma 
or to a Buddha as others see him embodied. It is beyond the state of a Buddha and his initial realization, or even his fundamental realization. And it is beyond the state of a Buddha in his inherent enlightenment. A Buddha who is equivalent to any of these can never stand shoulder to shoulder with a Buddha who is doing his practice. Keep in mind that Buddhas, being within the Buddha's way, do not go looking for realization. And this is this is a conundrum for us because we often have in the back of our minds some yearning for realization but it's not something that we can accomplish according to uh, Dogen and according to uh, many of our, our teachers. Uh, again, I know I've been referencing this in, in several talks and I'm going to get around to it uh, in more depth perhaps later in the year, but I've been reading in Shin Buddhism and there, the realization, it, it's very, they're very insistent. This is not something you can accomplish. It's what is given. It's what's given by the Buddhists. And one receives it. And then one has, a, somebody asked me, actually, uh, well, Having received it, you have a responsibility to enact it. And that is the Buddhist practice. Uh, so keep in mind that Buddhas being within the Buddha's way, do not go looking for realization. Being proficient in one's daily conduct whilst on the path towards Buddhahood is what is meant by a Buddha just doing her practice. It is not even, it's not something that is even dreamed of by those who are, say, Buddhas as embodiments of the Dharma. So in other words, the second requisite is basically Buddha activity. Zen master activity, that there's the necessary component. So you have those two components. You have the necessity of an assembly, uh, someone to work with, or perhaps something to work with. And then you have the work itself. Those are the dimensions of our Dharma activity, our Dharma life. And so we have the Sangha as a field. We have the Maha Sangha as a field. We have everything that, everything and everyone that we encounter as a field. And perhaps that can be 
summed up as the activity of respect. And we know, as, a, as an idea, that makes complete sense. And then we catch ourselves again and again, uh, being irritated, being hurt, we catch ourselves with the feelings of non-respect. And right there is an opportunity to turn. So I thought, I haven't done this in a while, I think I thought I would sing you a song, if that's okay. Uh, and uh, I've sung this before, but I don't think I've sung it for quite a while. Uh, you, Many of you know it. It's um, song from the Lotus Sutra, chapter 20, called Our Hero, by uh, our friend Greg Fain and Ben Gustin. And it talks about the bodhisattva never disparaging, the bodhisattva who practice, practices respect. And so I will, I'll try it today. This funny little message just uh, popped up in my Zoom. Playing music? Set up professional audio, audio section settings. I'm going to leave it. There's a book called the Lotus Sutra that you really ought to know about. A holy book has the power to remove all fear and doubt. And this book tells the story of a man who means the world to me. He could just as well have been a woman, except for male hegemony. So they call him the Bodhisattva never disparage, the Bodhisattva never despise. And I'm making it my life's ambition to see the world through his pure eyes because he says I would never disparage you or keep you at arm's length where you only see your weaknesses I only see your strength I would never despise you or put you down in any way because it's clear to me I can plainly see you'll be Buddha someday. I love you. So that last part was a chorus which you can sing. It comes around a few more times. Now the Bodhisattva never disparaging the countless Kalpas in the past. In the time of the counterfeit Dharma, and he was something of an outcast. Because the monks and nuns of his time, they were noted for their arrogance and vanity. And these are the folks who exercise great power and authority. But my boy, he never just my boy, he never concerned himself if they treated him like a freak. 
He just bowed to everybody equally, and these are the words he'd speak. I would never disparage you or keep you at arm's length. Where you only see your weaknesses, I only see your strength. I would never despise you or put you down in any way. Because it's clear to me, I can plainly see you'll be a Buddha someday. I love you. He never read or recited the scriptures much. He only liked to practice respect. But the monks and nuns of his time, they didn't meet it like you might expect. Instead, they cursed him. And they reviled him, and they wished that he would go. Because they all had self-esteem issues, like everybody else I know. So they beat him and pelted him with clubs and stones to try to drive him away. But he'd just run off to a safe distance, and he'd turn around and say, I would never disparage you or keep you at arm's length where you only see your weaknesses i only see your strength i would never despise you or put you down in any way because it's clear to me i can plainly see you'll be a buddha someday i love you and so it went on for years and years he was a target scorn and abuse. Still our hero, he shed no tears, or did he ever wonder what's the use? He came to the end of his natural lifespan, he lay down fixing to die, and he heard the Holy Lotus Sutra being preached up in the sky, and his life was extended for millions of years, he's living to this day. And in the pages of the Lotus Sutra, you still can hear him say, I would never disparage you or keep you at arm's length. Where you only see your weaknesses, I only see your strength. I would never despise you or put you down in any way. Because it's clear to me, I can plainly see you'll be a Buddha someday. Yes, it's clear to me, I can plainly see you'll be a Buddha someday. I love you. I love you. The song, um, really good song uh, and it it really encapsulates that that whole chapter um, he only liked to practice respect uh, but the monks and nuns of his time they didn't always treat meet it like you might expect um, and so one of the things and I've talked about this before uh, is a uh, important line. Uh, so they insulted him, they beat him, they 
beat him and they pelted him with clubs and stones and they wanted him to disappear. Um, he'd run off to a safe distance and he'd turn it around and say, sometimes the Zen master has to do that. Uh, sometimes the teacher has to have a safe distance, but the thing is, he'd turn around and say, I would never despise you. Um, the, the thing that, you know, I feel just feel that it really is something that communicates through all the teachings of Suzuki Roshi. And I certainly experienced it with Sojin was um, this great ability to accept each person, uh, accept us in our, with our flaws, sometimes commenting on them or helping us encounter our shortcomings, encounter the places that, that we have to, um, we should be working. To be able to see that and to be able to point us in that direction, which is what a teacher does, which is what all of the Dharma does. Uh, and at the same time, to communicate this very deep acceptance. So those are that's that's where those two aspects of what is a Zen master, what is a Buddha, um, coincide. Uh, it coincides in uh, having an assembly, having a student and accepting that student or that assembly for right where they are. And, you know, it's very clear to me from, uh, from reading and listening to Suzuki Roshi and from observing uh, his students that he had this he had developed this remarkable ability to see everyone in such a way that they felt seen. Now, I don't want to idealize this too much. One of the things that I was thinking as I was preparing this talk is that maybe a Buddha isn't the Buddha for everyone. Maybe a Zen master isn't a Zen master for everyone. You know, and um, with all respect, I know that there are There are people who didn't feel fully seen by Sojin. There are people who probably don't feel fully seen by me. Um, 
and I I understand that, uh, and sort of like don't fight against it. But I think that just so you know that my my vow and my practice uh, is really expressed in this song. This is what I'm trying to do. Uh, at the same time as I have flaws and shortcomings and all of our teachers are human. You know, some of these Zen masters had tempers, you know, and some of them were not every, able to see everybody, but in a broad sense, that was their vow. That's what they tried to do. And I, you know, honor them. And this is what, if you read, actually, if you read the sutras, uh, if you read the Lotus Sutra, I think in, in early in the Lotus Sutra, you know, um, the Buddha talks about uh, talks about the, the the three or four vehicles. He talks about the Shravaka, the hearer vehicle, the Pracheka Buddha, the self enlightened vehicle, the Bodhisattva vehicle, and the and the one vehicle. And when he says he's going to teach the one vehicle. Uh, a large part of the assembly gets up and walks out. So at that moment, he was not a Buddha for them. Uh, but he wasn't rejecting them. You know, if we walk away from the master, if we walk away from a Buddha, uh, it's important to consider uh, whether we are walking away from something that is valuable, something, some place where we might learn. And this is one of the experiences, I will say, this is it's a really important experience for me with, with Sojin. Um, you know, because he could be very critical uh, with good reason, often. But sometimes I didn't think so. You know, sometimes I, uh, sometimes I was hurt. And sometimes the Zen master will hurt your feelings. But what I learned as practice was Try not to, um, I would try not to be reactive. I'd sort of, I'd step back. I'd run off to a safe distance myself. Uh, and I would think there's something true here. There's something useful that is being communicated. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to reflect on that. I'm going to think on that uh, because this is a person whom I respect, who has wisdom and who I feel uh, there's a bond of trust and love between us. So where's the truth there? And really, 
this is not something that somehow is special between me and Sojin. You know, once you undertake that as a kind of practice, uh, then you apply that in every relationship and interaction. You know, there may be wailing and gnashing of teeth, but there still can be the very deep self-inquiry is, what's the truth here? Is there something I can learn that is going to help me you to the line of Dharma? And I think in a sense that was at least in my interpretation of what Rev was saying, um, that was an element there. All of a sudden he was confronted by this person that he had great respect and appreciation for, and it didn't appear to be the same person. And so he got to this question, what is a Zen master? What is, you know, what am I experiencing in this situation that points me back to the Dharma. And our whole everyday experience, this is why I love this passage from uh, Gyobutsu uh, Yuiji. Uh, All Buddhas without exception make full use of their everyday behavior that includes our everyday thoughts, uh, our everyday doubts, our everyday sitting down cross-legged as we're doing today during Sashin. And so, each of us has the opportunity to manifest ourselves as Buddha. Each of us has the opportunity to manifest ourselves as the Zen master. And, you know, I'm not saying that kind of uh, facilely. I'm saying that this is, this is our responsibility from the moment we have the first sense of way-seeking mind, with that arises our responsibility, responsibility to ourself and our responsibility to all that we come into contact with. So to never disparage, never despise, because it should be clear to all of us that each of us is gonna be a Buddha someday. So I'm gonna stop there and leave time for uh, questions.
questions, answers, comments. I'm happy to encourage people who uh, perhaps don't speak so frequently, but also I don't want to discourage people who have real questions or comments. And uh, also, uh, just be lean in your expression if you want. So, thank you. I'll turn it back to Blake. Ross Blum. Thank you. Thank you, Hosan. I'm really happy that you had that experience with your friend uh, with dementia, that you gave him a guitar and you saw him come alive, so to speak. Um, Thanks. Let me just say, um, I was, I was anxious going there. You know, I just, I was, I was just sort of preparing myself for, for something that was going to be yeah. very painful. And, uh, mm. I was, it was, it was sweet, you know, it was yeah. really a blessing. I'm really happy that you had that experience. Um, and the story with Reb and Yamada Muman uh, reminded me of uh, the koan Sun Face Buddha, Moon Face Buddha. And I don't know what was going on with Reb, but for me, when I've been around someone who is so-called diminished, the, the last days of Sojin Roshi, he was still a teacher for me in that he was a mirror and I got to see my sadness and my feeling of loss and grief come alive that he couldn't say, Ross, you should be feeling this way. It was up to me to kind of realize in myself what was being reflected. And he was just there. And um, uh, it really brought that koan alive, sun face, moon face uh, for me. So again, thank you for your talk today. Thank and, you. Yes. You know, um, that's the thing that, um, we have a teacher when we see someone who's a teacher it's like we're allowing them to be that mirror precisely yeah that's what i felt rev was that's what i felt was the the gist of what rev's experience was and you know so that the difficulty of seeing someone that you care about uh diminished still uh it throws us back on our own practice in a, in a really, in a very deep instructive way. Indeed it does. Thank you. Sue Moon. Hi. Um, thank you very much, Hosan. Um, I, uh, well, first I just want to say, um, it's also the case that everybody keeps getting diminished. We're all impermanent. And, and that it, there's not a sort of borderline where you're, you're fine and then all of a sudden you're in this other state of being demanded. You know, it's a continuum. So we have to watch out about, we have to continually be exercising the, and remembering, well, it's still the same person. They're just different in many ways. But um, I just wanted to ask quickly, um, that wonderful fascicle. Which, which one is that again? Yobutsu Yuiji. Yobutsu G Y O B U. Oh, Yobutsu. Yeah. Yuiji Y U I J I. 
And is that in uh, the double volume of Shobogenzo? Which, which number is that? Well, I don't know. It, the oh, number or what is it in English? In Nishijima, in Nishijima, that's oh. number 23. Oh, okay, great. Thanks. Very nice. Thanks they're so much using, for this talk. You're using, using different core tests. Yeah. A little different. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Helen or Preston? Good morning. Morning. Welcome back. Thanks. So I'm thinking about the um, part where you say he, he runs into the hills to be at a safe distance. Well, I didn't, didn't say run into the hills. He just runs off to a safe distance runs off to a safe distance and then there's the other part about um i won't keep you at arm's length oh. let me just or i will never disparage you or keep you at, arm's, keep you at arm's length right yeah okay mm. and i'm thinking about that tension and i think my question is how do we uh know how far to run away or i forget it but you know like i think i run too far into the hills and is the love felt from that far away is is kind of my question and how do we not have to run so far or something right. like that? and i think it's uh you know this is of course very subjective and uh this is the message of that chapter uh, and you can go and read that chapter, chapter 20 of the Lotus Sutra, um, is to find out what that safe distance is for yourself. So in other words, to have a distance of safety while being in relationship at the same time. Mm. And, you know, as I, I think we've talked about this, um, You know, there there have been people in my life, uh, not here actually. I'm happy to say, where the relationships have become difficult or strained, and so my my practice has been just never to sever that relationship. Uh, but the safe distance was. to offer a respectful, a respectful friendliness, you know, a practice of friendliness where honestly, I might not feel all that friendly, uh, but to practice respectful and to inquire how, how that person is if, when we meet, just, just not to ignore that person when there's the, when there might be an encounter. And I take a really long view. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's it's take, it's taken five or 10 years of that. And then what I found, and this has been an experience that's, that's happened several times in my life. By pursuing that practice after a time, sometimes that person asks me for a favor or they asked me to help with something. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, oh, 
there's there's a bid for relationship that I I must take up, uh, and you know that doesn't mean I'm not careful. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's as if nothing has transpired between us, but it means an opportunity to do something deeply creative in our relationship, mm -hmm. in relation, in our, in deeply creative in oneself, actually. And that's what I think, uh, that's what I think this, this song is about. So. Thank you. Use that as best you can. Thanks. Katie G. Hello, Hosan. Thanks for your talk. Um, it's very nice. Yeah, it is nice. It's a beautiful day. Um, Ross's comment reminded me of um, something that someone told me when I was feeling a lot of loss as my father declined, um, which was a long decline with a lot of losses along the way. I, I think some of yeah. us remember very well yeah and someone said to me perhaps it was you I don't remember who it was <laughs> that when I was um, struggling with feeling like the parent-child relationship had flipped in certain ways certainly in terms of the amount of caregiving going one way or the other and they said you know he's he's still parenting you in the sense that he's going before and showing me what it is to be a person at that stage of life. And I found that really helpful to recognize that there was not only loss, there was also continuity and that it, it helped me understand parenting and our, our relationship as parent and child in a broader, deeper, way and i guess i was just wondering if if you feel that that holds to this teacher student relationship that that you were talking like uh, talking about like where is or who is the, the zen master i think so that's that's really it's really helpful i mean i think that Parents, children, as a as an archetype, um, inevitably is a constant process of uh, leading and letting go, uh, and. They don't, those things don't come up, they may come up together or they may, you know, one aspect may be predominant at any point in time. Uh, but I think that goes with that question that I was asking that I, that I, I mean, I really learned this, it, it crystallized for me in my relationship 
with sojourn, which was not always easy. It is, you know, just like, what, what is the teaching here? So like with your father, what is the teaching that, um, that he was giving you by just being himself, not necessarily mm -hmm. through any intention or any, uh, you know, any direction, but just by being himself, what is the teaching here? Uh, and, you know, those teachings are so rich. That's really, that's, that's how we learn how to live. And that's how we learn how to die. And I think there was that capacity in that relationship I had with my father, like I could be there for it because he did try to continue to take care of me as much as he could, you it's, know, to say. That's well, really fortunate, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a great opportunity that you had. And I, uh, you know, those, I did not have this opportunity with, well, actually I had it with Sojin, but I did mm -hmm. not have it with my parents. But those of you who are, who have the opportunity to uh, be on that journey with your parents, you know, that's incredibly uh, fortunate. You know, I just am so uh, happy for you to have that opportunity. And just remember, our turn is coming, or our turn has arrived, for some, you know, so, um, all that we learn can be applied to who we are and where we go and how we are with, with our friends and family. To be a Buddha for them, to be a Zen master for them. So thank you. I think this yeah. is, uh, if there's nothing else, I think this is a good place to end. What do you think, Blake? I think that it is a great time to end. Beings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Illusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.